Good morning, Tallahassee. It's Pastor Paul here at Four Oaks Church. It's a Thursday morning. Let's check the date out. Yes, February 3rd, 2022. So glad that you have jumped on board this pastoral devotional. So we take 10 to 15 minutes, Monday through Friday, to unpack a portion of God's Word. And for this season, we have been running concurrently with our preaching series at Four Oaks through the book of Romans. Now, Romans, because it's so rich and deep and has so much going on, obviously impossible to treat every aspect of it with the, with the attention and the focus that it deserves or could use. So what we're doing is we're taking these times during the week to, to run down different trails, theological concepts, unpack ideas, applications that maybe we didn't get to on that previous Sunday morning. Now, this past Sunday, Pastor Scott had to pinch hit for me. We had a little COVID running through the house and Scott was not in um, Romans. He preached from Psalm chapter one, but we're gonna be back in, in, in Romans chapter six, verse 15 through 23, I think it is this Sunday. So I thought, hey, what do we do this week? Well, this might be a good time as we're rapidly approaching the halfway point of the book of Romans to do a recap, to do a review, to, to figure out where we've been, to remind ourselves of some of the central themes and truths that we have covered thus far, just so that we can make sure to keep the big picture in mind. Because remember, Paul's not writing in a vacuum. Paul is not saying, you know, is not sitting around Corinth one day and saying, hmm, I think I'm going to write a theological treatise. I think I'm going to write a, a theological tome. I'm going to send it back to those believers in the church in Rome that I've never even met just so I can impress them with my theological knowledge or just so I can pass this sort of systematic theology text on down to them. And that's not, that's not the way to think about the book of Romans, right? The book of Romans is a letter. Um, it was written in a specific time, in a specific place, to a specific people for a specific reason. And for Paul, that reason was he wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to take his fourth missionary journey to go to Spain to preach the gospel to lands and peoples yet unreached. And he was signaling and writing to the, the church in Rome to say, hey, I, this is what my plan is. I would like to come and stay with you a while, serve you, minister to you, and have you sort of launch me, send me, financially support me in my ventures on the way to Spain. Now he does tell them I have a I have a I have a one little detour I have to take before I come see you guys. I got to go to Jerusalem and deliver this uh, offering of money to the saints in Jerusalem. And we know what ends up happening is that Paul is arrested in Jerusalem. The Jews try to kill him. Paul appeals to Caesar, and Paul does end up going to Rome, right? But just not under the circumstances he thought he originally was. And so Paul, um, but but that's not yet to happen. What ha what's happening now? Paul's writing to them. It's in the early 50s AD. He's writing from Corinth, and as Paul is 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 penning this letter, he's also taking the opportunity to sort of introduce himself to the church in Rome. They don't they know him, of course, who he is, but they haven't met him. He doesn't know all of them personally, although he knows some of the people in the church personally, like Priscilla and Aquila through his travels. But he uses this as an opportunity to introduce himself, to talk about what animates him, what drives him, why he does what he does, and to then use that as a launching off point to talk about um, this mission that God has given him 
to bring the gospel, to serve the nations with the gospel. And that's what he does in chapter one. He introduces his theme. Paul says, everything that I do is propelled, motivated, driven by my desire to preach the gospel, meaning the good news of Jesus, the good news that Jesus has died um, for us in our place, has risen from the grave, is gonna come back one day to claim us as his own. This is what animates my life and ministry. This is why I do what I do. And so he talks about the good news. Then in chapter two, he is on to this idea that, that the good news only makes sense in relationship to the bad news. Paul says, if you wanna know why the good news is good, you gotta know why the bad news is bad. And he talks about how Jews and Gentiles alike are under the just, righteous judgment and wrath of God. And what he moves into with Romans 3 is in response to man's predicament, um, God sends forth a gospel solution, which has been purchased by his son, Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross in our place on our behalf. And this sacrifice, as we looked at yesterday, was a sacrifice of atonement. It was a propitiation. It, it satisfied, turned away, diverted the wrath of God from where it was directed, which is against sinful man, us, and instead poured that out on his son. So now here we are um, up to Romans chapter four. And what Paul wants to, what, what, his, what, his, what his point here in Romans four is, is he wants to, to, for us to understand how it is that the truth of the gospel and the, and the truth of the gospel, particularly as it relates to the death of the Christ, how does that become our possession? How, how do we receive this gift? How do, we, how do we embrace this gospel? And of course, his answer is by faith. And so that's Paul's topic here in Romans 4, is what is the nature of faith? What is the nature of salvation. So let's start in Romans 4, verse 1. Paul asked the question, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So, so two things Paul says here. He says, first of all, salvation is not by works. He says, work is something that you do and the wages that you are given are in response to the labors that you delivered. So you go to work, you receive a paycheck, you've earned that. Paul says, that's not the way salvation works. Salvation is not earned, salvation is received, it is given not like a wage, but as a gift. And he said, and, and this was even the case with Abraham. He said, Abraham, the, the, our forefather of the faith, believed God, trusted in him, and it was counted to him or considered on his behalf as righteousness. And so here, here we have Paul making this very clear that the righteousness of God um, is what every belief, what every person needs. But this is not a, a, a native righteousness, okay, that where we attain a certain level of personal holiness and righteousness, and then that gains us acceptance to God. No, this righteousness is an alien righteousness. It's something that's given to us, credited to us, counted on 
our behalf. It's not something that can be earned. And to sort of emphasize this point that salvation cannot be earned, it has to be received by faith as a gift, Paul gives us an example. And he talks about the very famous scenario in Genesis where Abraham and Sarah are both old. They've both been promised an heir. They've both been promised that they will have a son who will continue their lineage and their line. And, and, and Sarah and Abraham, of course, have been waiting for years. They've been waiting for decades. They've oftentimes lost faith in God. They've taken matters into their own hands. Remember, uh, Sarah thought this whole idea that she was going to have a child, she was barren, was so ridiculous. She had uh, she sent her maidservant, Hagar, into Abraham to conceive a son, Ishmael, because she didn't think she herself was going to be able to produce a son. Well, Paul's going to return to that example, and he's going to he's going to narrate something that uh, the story that's very familiar to us. Okay, and he's going to do it in a way to remind us of the supernatural work that salvation truly is. Okay, so let's go to verse eighteen in chapter four. Let's listen to what Paul says. He's talking about Abraham, and he says, "In hope, he meaning Abraham believed against hope." that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken his faith in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since when he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, one of the things that, that Paul tries to just like really press into our hearts and minds throughout this book of Romans is that faith is important. Faith is the instrument by which we receive the gift of God. But yet, ultimately, the assurance of our salvation does not depend upon the quantity of our faith or the quality of our faith but the object of our faith. And, and this is seen in no better way than in this situation with he and Sarah. They had no children. They are past childbearing age. And no matter how much they tried to change that, no, match, no matter how much they, they hoped against hope, okay, that in themselves they would be able to produce this offspring, they, cert they just could not change the biological facts. No matter what they did, no matter how many times they were together or intimate or, um, or tried this procedure or that procedure or, or conjured up some sort of, sort of wishful thinking and hope that maybe this time it would be different. Maybe, maybe this time, hope against hope, their bodies would produce this offspring. They knew when they looked, Abraham looked at his body, Sarah looked at her body. They knew there was no hope. There was no potential for life there. That's our condition as believers. Okay, that's, that, that's who we are. And just simply wishing it was true or wishing that we could give ourselves life is not enough. What has to happen is something supernatural. God has to intervene. God has to get involved. God has to sovereignly work. And that's what God did in Abraham and Sarah's situation. He brought forth life when there was no life. And one of the reasons that Paul is 
is, is bringing this up. He's wanting to give us a picture of salvation. Salvation is always supernatural. And because it's always supernatural, it's nothing that you and I can do. It's nothing that we can conjure up. It's nothing that we earn. It's something where God is the decisive factor in bringing life. It doesn't mean that we don't have to have faith, but understand faith is just the mechanism. It's just the tool by which we receive this supernatural gift, this supernatural grace from God. And what Paul is wanting to, to really communicate to the readers in Rome and us now 2,000 years later is that this is the nature of our salvation. If we are a Christian, it is because, number one, Jesus has come and died as a propitiation, as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. And that God, through his sovereign providence and miracle of grace, has awakened our hearts, has given us life, has awakened us to faith that we might receive this precious gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. That's Paul's central point. And so a lot of times we like to talk about um, miracles, right? Will God do a miracle? Will God heal this person? Will God do this for that person? Will God bring this about? And there's nothing wrong with praying for that and thinking about that. But let's not forget the greatest miracle of all is that God has brought dead flesh to life. He has given the dry bones of Ezekiel 37 flesh and blood. He has brought dead people, people that Ephesians 2 chapter 1 says, us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. These same people, God has given life. That is the nature of salvation. That is what is received through faith. That's what Romans 4 is all about. Now, Tomorrow, Friday, we're going to look at this last chapter um, to bring us up to speed, Romans chapter 5. What is the result of this faith? What is the result of receiving this gift? What has? How exactly has this happened? What does it mean for the believer? That'll be tomorrow. But for now, let's pray. Lord, remind us today that we are surrounded by supernatural work and favor on our behalf because of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. So Lord, let us not take this for granted. Let it be on our lips. Let it be on our hearts and minds. Let it be something we celebrate. Let it animate our worship. Let it enlarge in our hearts. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. It's his name.